Sit your ass down and shut the fuck up. It's a Schaefer Shakedown. All right. I mean, uh, it's starting. <laughs> We're recording. It begins. Welcome to the Schaefer Shakedown. Uh, it's uh, another beautiful week in Los Angeles. Uh, I've got seedlings that I bought in the ground or in the in the raised beds. I, I have abandoned my seedling indoor seedling project. Complete failure. <laughs> Literally every plant failed. <laughs> we'll be doing some I'm going to do some tests to see like what went wrong. I want to really figure it out. Um, but nothing has worked. Everything is just stunted. And uh, so this weekend, I went to something called Tomato Mania, which is now my Coachella. And it was, it's a tomato, but other seedling like fest sale type thing at this nursery in Highland Park. And I went with a friend, um, Al Madrigal, maybe you've heard of him, not to name drop, but he's... (laughs) He's friends with uh, Jordan and Rory, my landlords. And so Jordan and Al and I all went and it was really great. And we got, uh, I, I, I supplemented, I went to a couple other nurseries to get everything I needed. Cause by the time we got there, it was a little cleared out and I guess people really go crazy at tomato mania, but um, I got four. Are you going to go earlier next time? Yeah. yeah next time we're going to get there earlier. Yeah. Change your plan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, got four varieties of tomatoes. One I'm really excited about, but uh, uh, that one is, they're called like spoon tomatoes, but they're so small and I've grown them before. Uh, red currant is another version. Red currant tomatoes is the kind that I grew, but they're called spoon tomatoes because they're so small. They're like little pieces of candy almost. They look like little balls. Like they're just so tiny and adorable. And I've grown them before and they're, they're a pain in the ass to like harvest and to get (laughs) to do stuff with. But um, there's all kinds of applications. You can roast them. You can throw them into a salad. They're just very sweet. Just a little burst of flavor. So can't wait to grow those. We got some, we got a funky like heirloom type that's going to be all different wacky colors you know those that are like purple and orange and yellow and then we got a basic sauce staple type tomato like aroma uh, version and then I got some cherry tomatoes as well we got some peppers herbs and then I also planted or sowed seeds directly into the ground into our dirt uh, in various places that I had mapped out thinking all of this was going to be grown myself, <laughs> but I, I put in some cucumber seeds and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, that top layer that I have in my garden, which I've talked about before, which is, I did like a cover crop and then I chopped all that down, put a, a layer of the green and then a layer of brown over top, like shredded leaves and rice holes and stuff. That has already started to break down, but what it really is right now is like a really great thick, fluffy mulch, and under that is my original lasagna layers that I did in the fall, and that is like pure magic, composted, organic. Like I, I if you, if you pull pull back the like what I'm now calling the mulch layer, 
underneath that is so you there's like earthworms everywhere it's like the most healthy looking soil i've ever had or seen and so i'm i can't wait to see if it actually does grow these things grow well so far everything's doing good um but i mean the one thing i heard you drop in there was in a squash family which is the plant family i trust the most to just grow like wherever it is on accident it's just gonna grow. oh yeah from accidental pumpkins to three-foot zucchini, squash are yeah. a, a hardy beast. Yeah, I we're actually not doing any squash because they take up so much room. Uh, zucchinis, to me, are the easiest thing to grow. They are oh, so... Cucumbers are melons, huh? Cucumbers are... I guess they are... Are they melons? I don't... I don't... Squashy melons? Are they in that... They're in that weird liminal space? They are... Yeah, I... I you're right. I, I am doing cucumbers, but they're much smaller. And and you you train them. They're like vines, so they go up. Right. Um, but yeah, the zucchini is so easy to grow. In fact, like every time I've grown zucchini, I get so sick of it because I don't even really like zucchini that much. But it's just so satisfying to be like, oh, my God, look at all this zucchini just popping up. And um, so anyway, I feel good. I, I'm accepting my failures with the seeds, but these seedlings now I can really, cause last year I did a lot of seedlings from seed here indoors and they never were very uh, strong seedlings. So now I'm really going to see like, what can we grow back here? This is the year. So very excited. Um, I have all these like plastic cups, clear plastic cups and containers all through the garden. It looks like trash, but they're like little tiny greenhouses I've created over the seeds because I don't want them to dry out. And also the the mulch layer is so thick that I've like pulled it back and I didn't want it like blowing over where the seeds were and then me like losing track or them not being able to get out into the sun. So it's, it looks like a little weird experiment back there right now, but I'm very excited and tomato mania. Wow. Get one going in your hometown if you can. (laughs) I can't quote the science, but I feel like a plant knows if it has a little tiny house on it and it appreciates yeah. it. Yeah. Well, These I've, plants, li- I've lifted, know. I have poked holes in the top so there is some airflow, but when I lift up the little clear glass or uh, cup, it's like I can feel the warmth in there. So I'm keeping it warmer. It's warm enough in LA now, um, just barely warm enough to really get those seeds that require, beans and stuff require a much warmer environment not necessarily but they do better i've just noticed everything does better also i'm learning that and i'm sure you're going through this too in joshua tree most gardening advice and wisdom is not based on these warmer climate zones so i'm in zone 10a what zone are you in do you know that's a good question. I keep meaning to look. I feel like I can. That's Googleable enough that I can find out before the conclusion. It might surprise you, given that you have the cold that. nights. Yeah, I, I, I'm in zone 10A, 10, 10A and 10B. I mean, like 11 is the hottest, so that tells you I'm in one of the hottest, warmest environments to be growing. And you should always check because it could be different. You know, LA, there's so many different climates. You go out to the coast; it's 10 degrees. 10 degrees cooler it's a different vibe there so you, you really should check but i've realized that most gardening wisdom is based around like a zone seven you know or uh six where there's freezing winters uh where it's a lot of rain 
and a lot of wisdom I'm realizing it doesn't apply to Southern California. And so I've started to look up more specific advice. So I looked up an article about growing peppers in Southern California. And surprisingly enough, a lot of things I thought I knew are different here. So peppers, I always say, oh, peppers are heat loving plants. They love it when it gets hot. Well, they don't like it too hot and you got to put shade over them in the hot in the heat of the summer which is something i had never done and so they burn up and they die and also yeah. apparently it is very difficult to grow big bell pepper type peppers in these hotter climates you can do it but because they have so much that juicy like pepper wall and size i guess it's harder in a drier environment to get those types of peppers and um and this was just this one woman's experience, but I thought, she's fucking right. I have never gotten bell peppers to grow well here. I get one that's maybe the size of a, you know, a kumquat, <laughs> and, then, and that's it. And then on my banana pepper and jalapeno plants, there's always a ton and way more, and it's easier to grow chili peppers and hot pepper, not necessarily hot, but those um, skinnier type peppers here, I guess, instead of bell. But it, it makes sense. Well, intuitively, that kind of makes sense because it's just less water and a little mm -hmm. dude. You really got to yeah. water the heck out of any plant that you want. Yeah. At least as far as I know, like a commercial bell pepper has, is watered a lot more than you think to get it that enormous. Yeah. And if I can, if plantmaps.com is right, I am in zone 9A and it seems like everything I interpret reading a plant's like, here's my little guide to keep me happy. It's mm -hmm. like, if it says direct sun... It's not talking about the kind of direct sun. Yeah, we your get. plants like, will in in your in Joshua Tree in the summer. That shit's gonna burn up and die. You're gonna have to put shade over it for part of the day. So I, <laughs> you know, I wonder if there's like I want I want gardening advice based on like the angle of the ecliptic. Like if you're yeah. <laughs> if, if truly the sun spends the entire twelve hours of the day directly over your garden, that probably isn't the kind of direct sun yeah. that plants want. But like a couple, you know, knowing the timing of that, like. It just means a little midday chore of coming out to cover everybody up or everyone just lives under kind of a permanent shade. I've noticed right. most people out here plant either in some kind of greenhouse with a darker shade area. Yeah. Um, where you get diffuse cooking. light, where it diffuses the yeah. light the whole day throughout. And yeah. so you're controlling the amount of sun that it gets. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, path. I'm really trying. I'm really hopeful. But also, again, like we talked about, I also just I don't let it upset me when things fail. Um, but that, uh, that is pretty much, I have some other stuff brewing work wise that I can't get into right now. We'll see what happens, but it's pretty much all I've done. I'm super, I'm just because of my health stuff, which I promise I'm going to get, I'm going to reveal the big reveal. <laughs> what's going on with Sarah's body. <laughs> um, I just want it to be over before. Cause I just don't want to like have to keep talking about it, but it's not over and it's starting to really piss me off and it's paralyzing me. So I'm, I'm just getting through each day and, uh, that is the best I can do. The fact that I'm doing this podcast, when I think back to, to my goals this year was to keep doing it almost every week. And I have done that is crazy given what's been going on. So I'm I'm just pleased with that. As And you've been helping me with that because you make it easier to do this every week. It's the least I could do. Although this <laughs> week I've been teething. I have a grouchy wisdom tooth that I stuck oh. in me. I'm like, there's room for it. So I've spent the week just being like truly with the babiest of ailments. So In your 40s, you got a wisdom tooth situation? Oh, it's just grumpy. 
it happens. I'm a teething 41-year-old. It's like, I never had them out because there's just enough room for them. So occasionally yeah. it's like, it's uh, there. And it's like, well, I don't want the surgery, so there better be. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I've, fine. Uh, I never yeah. had mine out. And that, I think, is because I had so much work done on my mouth as a as a child and a youth that um, I had so many teeth pulled. I had braces. I had the whole, my, my, my mom never had, uh, grew up poor and she never had dental care. So she was very into our dental care. And I, I thank her and my dad for that, you know? Um, But I, I've had good teeth. Luckily I have whatever bacteria is the good kind in my mouth that where I, (laughs) I don't get cavities, but I did have like a really, crowded mouth growing up or something I just it was traumatizing I really hate going to the dentist now because of all the teeth I had to be had to have pulled and everything and um but my wisdom teeth had plenty of room to come in I never had any issues with it so that's weird but it's a good thing to have it's I mean fear of dentists makes me feel bad for dentists I know they're not I know only trying to help but yeah I also have inherited a fear of dentists yeah uh, no disrespect to them and have just been lucky or stubborn yeah, uh, and it's not like yeah. I mean, well, I have the problem. I have are just the biggest bummer. The problem I have uh, right now is that my teeth are moving because I I wasn't one of those people that wore my retainer for twenty years, which I know you guys exist, and I have nothing but respect <laughs> for you. But for you me, soldiers of straight teeth. For me, one as soon as I got to college, that shit was gone. Like <laughs> there was no way I was going to remember to put my retainer in, and I didn't understand the long term effects. And my teeth are all like crooked now and I have like a snaggle tooth and stuff, which I actually kind of like. I think it's cute. But the one thing I wish I could change, and I know there's a million products and things, but I have kind of yellow teeth. And in Hollywood, that is not okay. <laughs> I mean, it is I wish not that okay. Vanity, but it, it's the, the way the cameras have changed and like what blue light does. Like, <laughs> I know. It's like just aggressive. You won't catch it me. Is, it's. You yeah. won't catch me wearing a white shirt anywhere in public these days because ah! it, it it shows off how yellow my teeth are. And um, I mean, they're not that yellow, but like they are yellow compared to most of <laughs> almost everyone I know in Hollywood. Americans are so crazy about their teeth. But anyway, um, and that's the one thing I can change. I know people are like, get your teeth whitened. Well, you know what? I did that one time and it was... I'm putting it on on in the top five most ex- painful experiences of my life Ooh. where I could barely walk down the street after because every step was a tremor in my mouth. Like any jostling of my body, it was that pulsating pain that I was just like felt nauseous like I was going to throw up. And the doctor was like, the dentist was like, you have tears streaming. I had tears streaming down my face. It was burning so bad because I have sensitive gums and... He didn't warn me, you know, I didn't know anything that it was going to be painful. And then he goes, I can keep going if you want, but it looks like it's really, and I'm like, ah, like, I was like, please stop. So anyway, uh, I got, I, I, and I go, it hurts so bad. For the look. Sarah, you have to feel the burn to get the look. You do. Push through the pain for the look. (laughs) You gotta feel it. It's worth it. All that about um, my weird teeth to say that uh, even on this tiny level, I know how hard it is to just do your normal day when something doesn't feel right. Yeah. So knowing that you are going above and beyond normal day status while you don't feel right, you know, you can never take your health for granted, not for a single minute. Uh, yeah. And I only remember that when I don't feel good. 
Yeah. And then I feel good and I'm like, oh, but I'm tired or something. Well, and it's like, is it? And without revealing too much, what I'm going through is not painful or I don't feel sick. It's things going in on in my body that people are concerned about and there's surgery and tests happening and things like that and so it's not even a suspense music not jaws attack music yeah it's i mean look people can connect the dots on what's going on with me but i'm it's mental like i am mentally paralyzed because i don't know what the outcome is going to be and i'm so afraid that it's going to be bad and um then my whole life changes. And I mean, you can read into that what you will. But for now, I'm okay. It's just like Jesus, like that. And it's taking way longer than I thought, which of course it is. Everything takes a million times longer than you think it's going to take. You know, I'm like, oh, this will be all done and over with. But you know, I'm like trying to book shows and stuff. I'm like, I'll be done by early March. It has just begun. Like, I can't. <laughs> It's taking forever. The so logical horror of this is like, isn't that true always? Yeah. Like, aren't we always a second away from like falling and wonking our head on a coffee table in such a way that our entire life is different for the rest of our days? Like, yeah. That that's true for all of us always. But something like, I mean, without even guessing at any conclusions about what's yeah. going on with anyone's health, when something dangles like that in front of yeah. you, it just changes your whole day. And there's something yeah. kind of cruel about the fact that that's just true for any of us. Yeah. Always anyway, but most of us don't think about it. We've assessed those risks, risks, and we still have coffee tables. Right. Well, and like I think th- to that point, I think I'm living in this liminal state of like, um, you know, limbo of what what is the future hold? Either this was a life saving moment, and I uh, feel great, and I and I you know use it as a way to be like, hey, everybody, make sure you're keeping up with checking up on yourself and all that stuff. Or is it literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me? And because of that, I think I'm in a weird... um, Now, the old me, you know, 15 years ago, would have gone on a crazy shopping. I had like a a little minor shopping addiction in my twenties, just a touch. And uh, clothes. Okay, yeah. And old me and stuff sometimes. But when you lived in when you live in New York, you don't have that much room for stuff. Clothes or clothes. But I would just cycle through and do stuff. So you know, it would have been a shopping spree to make myself feel better or whatever, and um, or just like an afternoon in a fancy store and spending way too much money on clothes. And so that's gone. I'm I'm I don't do that anymore. But what I did do yesterday, which I was like, oh, Sarah, you're not doing well. I went to the grocery store to pick up a couple of things. And on my way out, I, I saw a vending machine for lottery tickets. And I was like, Powerball, let's do it. And I just popped it. I'm not like, never do this. I just popped it at 20. And I was like, 133 mil. And then I spent the whole afternoon daydreaming about what I would do with the winnings. One of my favorite activities. Yep. Oh. Oh, I mean, so. there's a uh, it's a classic stereotype slash joke about lesbians that we're into gambling because uh, it, we don't engage in any other high risk activity in our <laughs> life. Um, 
I don't even know if lesbian is the right definition. Who knows what words mean anyway, but I do know what gambling means. And if you put me in front of a craps table, I will spend eight hours with $300 dreaming about what I would buy. I love gambling. Am I gay? Oh, gambling is the best. I'm not good at all types of gambling. Me too. Craps is my game. I have a game. Mm -hmm, Uh, Me too. Most people do who slip into an addiction that they shouldn't. Yeah, roulette is my game. It's good that I don't live really close to a casino. Uh, I do live. I'm about to say. I, I think you I, probably I know I'm do. Not doing good. If, all I need is if I had a thousand extra dollars, which is a lot of extra dollars. Yeah. It's a privileged life, and also it. Yeah. I you know have always lived in touristy places my entire life, so I see people who sneeze a thousand dollars a day on vacation. So like, it's not an outrageous sum, but boy, do I think about that 24 hours like a lot. Just commuting, yeah. driving, just like full-fledged yeah. fantasy. Just, I, I let myself, oh. and yeah, I think this is an escape. You know, I'm I'm letting myself check out of the actual reality I'm in, and I'm daydreaming about, like, the charities I'm going to donate to <laughs> with my money. Oh, yeah. Oh, the and, lives you save. Oh. Yeah, the change I would make at the world, you know. Um, I do, I would houses. get rid. I actually... I'm serious about this. I would donate most of the money. I, I don't, I think having to, because if it was, because I was doing the math, I was like, okay, if I take the lump sum, let's say I, it's actually 70 mil in, in the pocket. Let's say that, uh, you know, okay, 35 to 50 gone. I don't want it. That's too much. I don't need that much money. I don't have dreams. I couldn't even fathom what to do with it. Uh, I don't want to ruin my own life or my loved one's lives by giving them too much money. Um, I would uh, definitely be generous and give money to family and friends and stuff. Um, but you know, I, I like love thinking of like, I would, I would, uh, you know, have my nieces and nephews. I would want them to, as a sort of educational experience, I would have them do proposal. Like even like the five-year-old, like I would be like, give me a proposal on what you would do with, um, yeah, I a pitch. It. And like the requirement would be like it it has to make the world a better place and it can't hurt anyone, you know. And and I think that would be so fun. Th- this is what I did yesterday. <laughs> it was just I bought the Powerball ticket and just daydreamed about what I would do. So, I, fingers I crossed. I feel like the if you fantasize about what you do with 133 million dollars and your answer is give most of it away i feel like you're exactly the type who never gets 133 million no i'll it's never win world. i'll never win it but you get you, but you got to be in it to win it so oh you certainly do um yeah. no i want to go back to what you said about lesbians and, <laughs> and low risk first off low risk lifestyle now, low risk lifestyle, but maybe high risk emotionally, because I feel like the stereotype I hear about lesbians a lot is that like I'll see memes going around of like lesbians will like move in with each other like right away. Next I mean, you haul rental. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because my friend oh. who is like newly, I don't know if she classifies herself as bisexual or gay now, but she's in a relationship with a woman for the first time in her life, and like the the speed at which this relationship has moved is yeah we all move to big cities and we make 75 cents on the dollar what do you expect <laughs> we need to consolidate right, rent, we, like, last we don't month. have time we are in trouble we need this is an investment based yes <laughs> um well i will say one thing good I mean, there are many good with my girlfriend. I'm making the joke like I didn't move in with my sweet lady, Kelly, like 
instantly. Instantly. Uh, oh. Um. Yeah. Well, one. One very high point of the past week was I was invited by my new friend over for lunch. And that friend is a comedian known as Kathy Griffin. (laughs) And she had followed me. This is one of those friendship that evolved through social media type thing. You know, we became friends on social media first and then she invited compliment yeah. twitter interaction really fast before yeah. because this is even better but i hope i just want to bless this interaction with the same powerful energy that i saw ed solomon uh pop up in twitter fed me that ed solomon interacted with you writer of movies that i deeply adore and it was just yeah one of things like oh yes beauty is being seen like yes oh, this is, <laughs> thank you, synergy <laughs> yes um yeah i forget oh, i wait, have your lunches continue yeah. I have followers that I forget I have, like, oh, Seth Rogen follows me. Like, don't forget the responsibility you have, Sarah. Seth Rogen is watching. (laughs) Um, Ed Sullivan is watching. Um, So Kathy and I kind of became friends, and she invited me and Scott over to have lunch with her and her husband at their Malibu palace. It is, I think... um, and I'm 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 not gonna rev- I don't want I I don't, I don't want to protect Kathy's privacy here. I'm not gonna say everything that I witnessed and you know experienced there because <laughs> it was four hours. I mean we we hung out. It was it was a hang, and but it definitely is the nicest house I've ever stepped foot in by far. And it was so incredibly gorgeous there i'm so happy for her and because i you know she's she's been through some shit these past few years and it's it's still going on i can't i can't divulge the things that she's dealing with because of that trump photo but if i'm sure because those are her stories to tell and i'm sure she shared some of it some of it is so crazy and horrifying and legitimately horror movie scary that i just I just left there and I was like, God, I love her. She doesn't get the respect she deserves from some people. You know, I think a lot of people get who Kathy is and what she has accomplished. But, you know, she's held to a different standard because she's a woman. And forget the Trump photo part of it and all that. But, like, she's a legendary female comedian. She is one of our living legends joke writing speed is outrageous. She had a new special every like every hour. 21 she specials. Out an hour every hour. Yeah. It just felt like she never stopped. And when I was there, material. so first off, she's 61 and I think I can reveal that about her. <laughs> um and she's filled with energy. I mean, she's just like bouncing around and her voice is a little um hoarse right now because of lung cancer surgery that she had but she's filled with energy she is so funny i mean legitimately so fast on her feet you're you're in a conversation and she's just hitting you with like little aside jokes as you're talking and it's so fun to be around her she's always been so funny now i remember when i first started in comedy i wasn't super familiar with kathy griffin um but i knew who she was from tv and stuff and i remember I must have said something like, oh, she's not one of my favorite comics or something to somebody. I might have been dismissive of her. This is when I first started 20 years ago. And my friend in New York, I was j- brand new to comedy, was like, 
what are you talking about? She's one of the funniest comedians out there and people don't realize it. And I, and I sat back and I went, oh, you know what? You're right. I don't even know what I'm talking about. And then I investigated further and I was like, oh, shit. She is, I mean, she's one of the greats and she's sold out Carnegie Hall five times, Radio City. You know, she's got all the accolades and the money to show for it. For every, you know, major legend we talk about, Dave Chappelle, Chris Rock, you know, to me, she is their equal. Now, she may not be your... I, I get annoyed when people respond to me uh, on, on Twitter or even in personal interactions I've had with other comedians where they're dismissive of Kathy in a way that feels so fucked up because even if you don't like... Dave Chappelle's jokes or Chris Rock's jokes or whatever, you would never be like, nah, I don't really think they're funny. And it's like, you you would go, oh yeah, they are a legend. You know, they may not be my favorite comic, but they are a legend. Kathy is a legend and she's on the highest level you can be as a comedian. And people are dismissive of her. Or they'll go, she's niche or this or that. And it's like, what? Because she doesn't talk about the exact thing you want. I mean, you can say Jim Gaffigan is niche. He talks about food and family, you know, but people don't speak about male comics the way they do female. And they, because she talks about celebrities and stuff, it's like, well, so does Dave Chappelle. So does <laughs> Dave Chappelle. He talks about celebrities. That's like his bread and butter. His Some of his funniest stories are about celebrities. Anyway. And it's, it's got an audience that really loved it. I don't know right. why you're mad. If the seats were packed. Right. You're not niche if you're selling out, you know, huge rooms and doing 21 specials. Like, you're not, you yeah. know, and, and that's just so irritating. Um, it dismisses the influence to, uh, if you were a mid-90s young enough television viewer, the pool was small and she was such an important part of it. Like... Yeah, it's that strange like over representation thing where you know Kathy Griffin then has to be female comedy in general, which is just such a frustrating uh, phenomenon that doesn't. I mean, that just it, it happens to anybody that isn't white dude comedian, since that's yeah. what a comedian is. Anybody who isn't that is yeah. is asterisk comedian or word first and then comedian, and like I don't know, Kathy just had such a sense for where to position herself because she was able to sort of straddle this world of like stand-up comedy and celebrity journalism, mm -hmm. which is lucrative and popular. Well, and she was one of the first comedians to like be the center of a reality show yeah. about her own life. And she took advantage of that format to show her comedy chops um, because she was very funny in that show. And the meta savvy that takes to do it's like yeah. real life comeback, but all at once, like self-aware and sincere, <laughs> so incredibly self-aware, but really strong. And I mean, talk about breaking into a boys club like, hello, <laughs> she already did that. And she um, over and over again, she's she's provocative. I can see that some people probably think she's annoying, but I would say could describe so many male comedians. Ricky Gervais isn't a provocative and annoying imp, like, <laughs> you know, hosting the Oscars and stuff. Like, how is Ricky Gervais any different from Kathy 
Griffin in terms of what they're doing. It's the selective rage and like phenomenon. And I can't tell if it's all fake or if I just don't get it where like, I don't understand why that ridiculously stupid iconic picture of Ricky Gervais crucified on a microphone stand with atheists written across his chest and a crown of thorns. Like, how is that funny daring, but beheaded Trump yeah. is, is end all be all too far canceled changes the trajectory of the rest yeah. of your life. Like, well, it's the same. I, I don't, I can't figure out why one's scary and the other is yeah. a Twitter Abby. I don't, I, I genuinely don't. Yeah. It, they are both silly images. Like, they're both you know, fake. <laughs> like it's not exactly. real. It's so <laughs> They're both like little comedic art pieces, little tiny photo shoot satire business. Uh, but the fact that Ricky Gervais wasn't torn down just with savage mockery for that photo, like there's, I I don't, I don't get what oh, one's oh, hearing and who's and the other who's whining the who's whining the loudest about the reaction. You know, Kathy, again, I can't share what she told me, but if you knew the full story of what has happened to her because of that photo, it makes Dave Chappelle and any of these other male comics whining about cancel culture, it makes them sound like babies. I mean, and look, Kathy Griffin, just like them, still has money. She still has her house on in Malibu, but her reputation and her career has been tarnished because of that and even people who we consider bastions of like the the left or I wouldn't even say the left liberal leaning side of things blue side of things have reacted to her in ways and these are all public things I'm saying I'm not divulging anything private about her but that Mm -hmm. they have told her you went too far I and I've heard people say oh she went too far and I'm thinking what how can you in one breath get all your panties in a bunch about that and then in the other be like freedom of speech what are we gonna do about cancel culture like i just uh, uh yeah i i uh, it's uh, that one is if that photo invokes so much false outrage that i can't even find where real outrage would be and the fact that it's just it, it was it's a cowardly reaction for anyone in comedy to be, to pile on the, that's so offensive train. Like, you know, and I think she, she um, has handled it as best she can. I mean, she's not making her entire act, you know, whining about it. You know, she's moving forward the best she can. And I think she's primed for a comeback, you know, in a I way I that... I got the part that makes my stomach feel a little sick about that. It's not a political reaction on behalf of any comedian that falls in the blue area of the spectrum. It's a career-based decision. Yeah. It's that like shark shark blood that's in anyone who's trying to make it in the entertainment business, which you need to sort of make it, that as soon as anyone has a toxicity around them that's real or not, the self-preservation mode is to move yourself away from them and to watch people position themselves away from her in this particular moment, Mm -hmm. not out of any like political reality, not out of any, you know, sincere motive, but out of a self-protective, like this just seems like the right move for my career to not speak up for her or to push away. It's just such a disappointing reaction, especially at that time. Right. I don't, I don't want to misconstrue. I want to be clear. 
I do think some of the bigger male comics, Dave Chappelle, maybe Joe Rogan, maybe some of them may, I think they have stood up for Kathy. I'm not saying that those, I'm just comparing what happened to them versus, you know, the reaction it got and what they've actually, the consequences they've suffered are different. Um, But I, I, when these conversations about cancel culture come up, the fans and a lot of younger bro comics, they don't mention Kathy and they didn't come to her defense. You know, it wasn't a big thing the way it was such a big brouhaha over like when you, when you, if someone criticizes Kathy, they're not swarmed by male comics, (laughs) bro fans going, you know, defending Kathy's honor. They're not like searching her name on Twitter and standing up for her the way they do their, their male gods. Uh, That is a very different vibe. But this got me thinking about, because also the other day, I think it was yesterday, this article came out about, um, let me look up the, the actual name of the article, because of course, this is an example of where the headline is misleading which is the world we live in now. People are reacting to headlines and not uh, the article. The headline was, this was on Slate.com. Why does every fictional female comedian get the exact same advice? Okay, so that's actually different than what it said on Twitter. Oh, God. And that it's not even the headline. It's what the tweet was. Good God. Okay, hang on. Let me let me look at this up. Look look this up because people were reacting to the headline on Twitter, and maybe they hold on. Um, maybe they changed it because people were saying this is a misleading headline. Um, of course, my my computer is going slow because I have too many things happening. Hold on. Um, oh my goodness. Okay, it's I coming. I feel like Hang I gave myself false outrage not knowing which comedians I would talk about. Like, I don't know who pushed away from Kathy Griffin. I just remember feeling upset that it wasn't a louder, protective voice. Like, I'll tell you off air. <laughs> yeah. One that had really fucking while pissed you were me off. At your computer, you were in a light, editable space to be like, I think I'm right about that, but it's one of those things that didn't happen that I'm mad about, which is like harder to put your finger no, on. No, like, there was an example. Where was, friend? Where was that friend? There was a story she told me that really pissed me off that I was like, how fucking dare they? And I'm using they as a just to just to keep it vague. Um, Hold on one second. Okay. So on Twitter, the headline. God, this fucking world we live in. Okay. So the the actual name of the article is why does every fictional female comedian get the exact same advice? And it's a very in-depth look at female comedians portrayed in fictional TV shows. And how their turn, their character's uh, development is based on a specific piece of advice, which is to be more vulnerable and tell it like it is and be honest in their act. But, and that, you know, that's a, it was an okay article. I'll get more into it in a second. But the headline on Twitter was, there's only one way to be a successful female comedian on TV. Now, what do you think that article is going to be about? (laughs) Like, because at first I thought it was going to be about there's only one way to be a Sarah Schaefer being 
successful on TV. That's what I thought Actual it was. Comedian. Right, actually, <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, and so you know, and Lori Kilmartin was like, "Do I even want to click on this? Somebody who a male who gets it, please read this and don't subject us to this." So it was really funny. But then, so I of course clicked on it. Was like, I want to know what this is. And then it became all about this person's analysis of how female comedians are portrayed in fictional TV shows. Now. My takeaway, I thought the article was okay. It just felt a little like the person, and then she's totally valid. I, I can't remember her name, the woman that wrote it, but um, totally valid in her, you know, consumption of these things. Because Lily. Yeah, Lily. The coolest name, so yeah. I, I will just mention that authored by Lily Loofborough. Lily Loofborough. Um, she seemed to have a grasp on these characters and, and went really in depth with it, and and she noticed a similarity between these characters having advice in their in the in the shows to like like when their careers were stagnating or they'd hit a wall that they just needed to tell it like it is and speak off the cuff and not have polished material and jokes and she's thinking but they but and she kind of grumbled about how what they end up having as their breakthrough isn't even funny like what they say and i thought oh this is i think some of the problem here is that it's really really hard to portray stand-up comedy and the and even the life of a stand-up comedian but actual stand-up comedy a person performing stand-up comedy it's really hard to portray that on film effectively um kind of like in studios sunset what is that sunset studio 60 what was it that aaron sorkin show what was that where it was they were trying to do an SNL type show, but the show itself within the show was so bad that you just couldn't buy the the whole thing. It's similar like that. It's really hard to portray stand up on TV, and I think she the, some of the angst she was feeling is that problem. And and there wasn't much of a uh, differentiation between um, understanding that because I know these shows hacks. She was talking about hacks, Mar- marvelous Miss Maisel, and the movie Late Night. Um, all who feature legendary female comedians at who've been doing comedy for 40 plus years or something, you know, 20 to 40 years. So in Hacks, you've got, um, I can't remember the name of her in the show, Jean Hacks, right? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can, I, am, I, am I totally making that up? Jean Smart plays Deborah Vance. I'm so bad Hacks with is names. Who it is now. I, Gene I, Hacks. Not seen the show. Gene, Gene Hacksman. Gene Hackswoman. I assume. Yeah, I, I'm like my mom. I can't remember. So we're about to venture into where it's going to be a mess because I, I'm really bad at remembering names in of actors and their character names. I'd just be like, my mom was like that. She'd go, remember that movie with that actor? With the guy in That's it? all we the information. We've seen another movie. We've seen it. <laughs> No other information. That's how I am. Um, so anyway, so Deborah Vance is that character, and Marvelous Miss Maisel obviously is Midge. And then in Late Night, um, it's I actually really liked this movie. It was a fun fantasy about a world that I know very well. And I actually, a friend asked me, like, did you like this movie? It seemed so ridiculous. I was like, it was completely absurd. But I enjoyed the fantasy of it and knowing the world. There were some things they got right. But um, in that movie, Emma Thompson plays like a David Letterman type. And all three of these characters, she was saying, had like breakthroughs where they 
stopped doing their polished old material and broke free and spoke from the heart. And she was kind of saying that that was a negative thing. And I'm like, but the thing is that she didn't really get into, which is that a legendary comic who's been around for a long time may be doing stale material. They may be doing um, maybe new material, but there's no freshness to the delivery. There's a difference between performance and material. Like you may have really good material, but if you're just reciting it year after year and never change, it may not be as fun and exciting feeling to the audience as it was when it first came out of your mouth. So at some point as a comic, you have to break away and try something new. And as a legendary comic, that's got to be really... And in, in, in Marvelous Miss Mabel, she's not a legend yet, but this is kind of fictionalized story of Joan Rivers type. She's on her, you get the sense, this woman is on her way to being the first great female stand-up comic. That's the, what that storyline feels like in that show. Her peers are Letty Bruce and whatever. And um, So yeah, I think there was, this article just got me thinking about Kathy Griffin and like, and how how I would be more interested in an article that compares how women stand-ups are portrayed on TV and in film versus male stand-ups and how they are portrayed on TV and film. And my first thought was, you know, we've had a few shows that center around either a historical female figure in comedy or a legend that has already overcome all of the... Uh, all the nitty gritty of when they first started out, which I'm like, isn't that a more interesting story of a female comic when she first starts out, how fucking hard that is. And there aren't any shows really about, Oh, and I remember after Louie and Marin and then Pete Holmes's show crashing had all come out. And even like master of none Aziz, he's not a comedian in that show, but it's loosely based on his life. And it, you, you sort of just assume that it's him then you've got Mulaney. Oh, that's the real yeah. life parallel of this article. That in that yeah. wake of of shows, every female comedian who wrote heard, write your dramedy, you know, mine your trauma for an hour's worth yeah. of funny stuff. That's the, I mean, I have well, one, and I feel like I am not alone. In it, it, female comedian laptops are all full of yeah. like, well, here's the origin story, <laughs> the the dark Batman of my life. It would be a nightmare if like they finally gave you know, a Louis to somebody, a Louis type show to a woman. And then it was called woman, <laughs> woman comic, yeah, right. you know, <laughs> instead of like, instead of, you know, Sarah or, <laughs> you know, like, right. yeah. and, you know, I have to say like, in general, back to my point of how hard it is to, to depict stand up on TV and what it's like. Uh, there are some, good examples. I want to talk about the good examples and the bad examples. First off, I love the movie Punchline, Tom Hanks, Sally Field. And I think Sally Field's character is really interesting in that movie. And I like the dynamic between her and Tom Hanks. And it, it felt very real to me. I liked that movie a lot. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, uh, Joker, just kidding. <laughs> Have you seen Joker? Oh yeah. Jo uh, it yes. The way fuck the the way I laughed at that movie is like some of the darkest laughter. <laughs> There's a way to watch it as a comedy if you're sad enough. Um, Joker yeah, in my mind. Wow, what a, it, what a movie that happened. 
It plays on this stereotype of the sad male comic and the cringe of, I mean, it's painful to watch him, but then for him to go, not, sorry, I'm spoiling it. Fuck you. Uh, if, if you're mad oh, that I'm yeah, spoiling the Joker. Years old movie that was a best picture yeah. nominee. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, you're good. But when he goes and he fucking murders the like, you know, the David Letterman type character in the movie for not booking, for making fun of him on the show or like whatever it was. <laughs> Just <laughs> the origin story I, of a serial killer is a failed stand up comic. I mean, first off, that's one of, that is believable. <laughs> it's horribly believable. That's the most realistic right. thing depicted in the film. That's right. Yeah, it, uh, um, yeah. So there, there, no, so not Joker. Um, I liked punchline. I really, um, um, I did like Hacks a lot. I th- it, at first, I wasn't sure I understood uh, Ava's storyline, the young writer. I it felt it's the, I, I understood the struggle though because they wanted to set up this young writer whose career had been fucked up through by having offensive tweets, but uh, they couldn't really reveal what the offensive tweets were because then it would just be offensive. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so yeah. then we lost, I, I understand that because I've written things before where I'm like, okay, this person got canceled, but what did they get canceled for? And will it make them likable or unlikable? And then you get in the, you get in this really hairy territory where, you know, how are we going to root for a character who deserved it you know or whatever but then you don't want to it's really weird so that her storyline at first felt weird to me but by you know a few episodes in I really did start to love their dynamic and the 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 gritty of their relationship and then the episode you know where um Gene Hacks woman (laughs) and Gene Hacks (laughs) When Gene Hacks, Gene Hacks um, woman is even better. I didn't think you could top it, and then you did. <laughs> you know, and her her journey to like kind of taking back her voice. I really, really did enjoy that. I felt I was I felt seen in that show, and that felt good. Um, but I don't know how you felt oh, about it. I see. I can't watch because there's a different mirror I look into. Yeah, where like a TV show about a struggling comedian is an oxymoron struggling comedians don't get tv shows Mm -hmm. like we both know a few hundred incredibly talented funny people that will always be struggling comedians and that story is not a tv show uh it's hard for me to make the jump uh follow a character on tv telling me they're a struggling comedian that to me is like hurts on a base level that isn't that comedian's fault. Like, their success isn't any threat to me. This isn't a zero-sum game in which I exchange my opportunity because they got theirs, but it is... It is a hurt. <laughs> Especially, and I have a perspective on Legacy Kids where sometimes the they do the job the best. But it is harder for me to believe a struggling comedian story when that comedian likely has a general when you know the behind to help and defend. <laughs> yeah, but you know that that and what you're referring to is Hannah, the woman that or the the uh, actor that plays Ava, is the daughter of Lorraine Newman, it, who was on SNL, and she had oh, great. Like, yeah, she's really good. I mean, and awesome. But 
I I don't think she Ava or uh, Hannah didn't create this show. You know, the the people who created it are are separate. She was cast in it. So, but I understand what you're yes. talking about where when uh, there are certain shows I'm that not are saying it's real or correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a very but, personal base reaction. Yes. <laughs> this is hard to explain cuz I I'm glad you're bringing this up because this is something that I think people who work in this business experience all the time that it's hard to explain or it's not immediately um, obvious to people who don't work in it. We don't enjoy TV on this in the same way a regular person does. Correct. You know, we so I have a friend go, um, have you seen and I'm not going to name the show. Have you seen blank it's a great show and i said you know what i honestly can't watch it because and i told her a behind the scenes story about someone who wasn't even yeah. in the show but is like connected i i, I don't want to say anything else because i don't want to reveal it but i was like i can't even enjoy this because i feel i feel so frustrated by this business and it's like this is a show built on nepotism and I'm just like, I don't, and I'm not talking about hacks. I'm talking about, you know, something completely different. And there's been other shows. Every show. You're talking about all of them. I'm it's talking okay. about every show, <laughs> but there no was one. So down based on that criteria. Right. So for instance, broad city, um, I've known Alana and Abby since they were like, just barely little, just babies in New York comedy. And I was in an, uh, an episode of the web series, Broad City. Like they were my, fr they are, I wouldn't say they were my friends. They are my friends. We're not super close. But um, when that show came out, I felt really nervous watching it at first because I thought it was going to consume me with compare and despair of jealousy or that I wasn't going to be able to enjoy this thing that my friends had gotten because I was, because uh, it was going to make me feel like I was missing out on something that I wanted or whatever. That was a show that I thoroughly enjoyed and it was refreshingly like I was happy for them. And I was like, I'm so glad I gave it a chance because I actually enjoyed it. And it was, I loved that show. So they depicted to me, they depicted a New York that was more relatable to me way more than like girls, you know, um, they were, I just loved that show, but there are shows that, you know, everyone's like, that's the best show ever. And I'm like, I can't watch it because it's, it's psychological torture to watch it. And, um, it happens a lot across the board of different types of stuff. And I think p people who aren't working in this business, um, may not fully realize that at first that it's sometimes it's just you're not in a place mentally where you can handle somebody else's wild success. <laughs> and there's one name will roll by in the credits and it's like over. You enjoyed an episode <laughs> yeah. and then you're throwing your remote across the room <laughs> yeah. and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, there is there's a lot of nepotism in Hollywood and not just like, oh, so and so's father got them that job but there's also just i've talked about this i've mentioned it before of just where oh, someone like grew Charlie up incredible between agencies and stars and favors and like connection yeah it's or even like just massive wealth where you grew up and you didn't ever have to worry about paying your own bills and you could just throw yourself into stand-up like and a parent crowd 
Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Wikipedia parents, blue Wikipedia parents. Like, look up an entertainer, and their their parents are blue on Wikipedia. You know, you know an awful <laughs> lot about their path up. It's and, and that again, it's different. There's no. It like, doesn't. There's no clicking on my parents' Wikipedia right. page. He was a psychic tech at Sonoma State yeah. Hospital for 38 years. That's the yeah. entire page. There's none of that. <laughs> yeah. that doesn't yeah. happen. Right, and it doesn't make. Um, it doesn't make that person a bad person. It doesn't make them not untalented or not hardworking. But to not recognize that you maybe have had a little bit of a head start in life is naive. Um, and I myself have had a head start in life over others. You, you know, have never delivered food to a studio where you have gone for a callback. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I have done the biggest shows in my career, literal holes in my shoes. Without exaggeration, we've talked about how my choir is sopranos and basses singing at the same time. It always happens at once. But when you are carrying a hot, wet sandwich into a studio in which you just had your biggest opportunity, like, it is, yeah. uh, boy, the highs and lows. And if you never had to, yeah. if you never wondered where rent would come from, or if you've never looked at your cargo on E and wondering if you were sleeping in it because you weren't going to the gas station until a check cleared, I can't. I don't even know. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. <laughs> there's different phases of life, you know, where I've learned, you know, from my own upbringing, um, you know, in the beginning of my life, my family had money at age 12, everything changed, but we weren't poor. Uh, were we struggling? Yes. And then there's been other times in my life where, um, you know, you've been up and down and, I don't know if some people who have net will never have to worry about, you know, I'm not saying that psychologically, like, for instance, I would compare it to I, I, I have, without revealing too much, for most of my career, there was always the thought of, if I don't make this, yes, I could potentially move back in with my parents, like, Right. They weren't, it wasn't, oh, they're going to pay my rent to keep doing this up here. N nobody exactly. was paying my yeah. rent. I, yes, I could go back home, but then what would I do? It would be like, okay, I failed and, and I still would have to, I wouldn't want to live with my parents and I wouldn't want to, and I'd have to find another job to survive. So that was always in my mind, the rock bottom of my career not going well, of that I'd have to leave New York and go back and like move in with my parents as an adult. I think that's a very common fear when people, no matter what career you're pursuing, that you go out in the world yes. and you're all fucked up and you have to, and a lot of people don't even have that. They don't have family that they feel they can go back and move in with. That's a, a foundation that I had of at least having, well, I could, I wouldn't want to, but I could. So I had that. I could. So there's a lot of people who don't even have that. Okay. So the, the, I recognize my privilege over that. But then there's a, an, a, a tier of uh, where there's people who are like, well, if I don't make rent this month, I can just ask my dad to put money in my account. Like that. You never even have to. Like, yeah. I. Yeah. Or that it's already there. You know, I, that, that be, part. Like <laughs> yeah. If you've never, like, literally eroded brain cells or, like, damaged your heart muscle with fear or anxiety about money, you just can't know. And I will yeah. never know the stress that comes with that life, which, like, you get no sympathy for. So I'm sure 
I'm sure oh yeah, because people <laughs> who have struggle. right, the, of course, there's because that's what I was gonna say. Like even and and again, I don't want to reveal too much about my like family, but later in life, uh, there's been a feeling of there that finances not are are not as scra- strapped as they once were, and there's been a knowledge that you know what, if things really fucking if shit really hit the fan. I could ask members of my family, not just my dad, but siblings or whatever. I I could be like, please, I need help. So I have a support system that could help me. Now, could they fund my life? No one in my family is rich enough to like pay for me to live like that. I'm just talking about like a short term, you know, loan or whatever. And I, I would never ask. My goal is to never have to ask for that. And I so I understand maybe on a bigger scale that if you're trying to make it in Hollywood or comedy, and we've seen, you know, um, famous uh, children of famous actors and stuff say, Oh, I went by a different name. I wanted to make it myself. And it's like, sure, mm-hmm. sure. But you know, in the back of your head, you could ask for help. <laughs> so maybe you're willing to take risks that, you know, somebody else wouldn't be able to also the knowledge you've been given by your parents. Like that alone is that so is valuable. Cool, the, like, I don't know why I'm mad. If I want to go to a third generation cobbler because I get the most amazing shoes back, I don't know why I'm upset that a third generation actor or director, like, yeah. of course they're good at this. I watched, yeah, they, uh, it was, uh, yeah. Booksmart was the film yeah. that, like, most recently cracked that open to me because that really showcased emerging young talent and talent of generational talent. Mm-hmm. And it really clicks. It took, you know, for someone at that age to approach a set, which is one of the weirdest environments on the planet, with confidence and ease, Mm -hmm. and bring a new generation into that secret knowledge, that secret, this is how you conduct your 14-hour day knowledge, which no one tells you. There is no book. There's no movie. That's a huge currency, and that's a great film, and it would have been worse if it was all new talent. Right. The unspoken rules, the not mistakes not to make in an audition, you know, those things that you get passed on, you know, so you're right. It is funny. The cobbler comparison is very funny. You know, we're not getting mad at a third generation cobbler for being good at being a good cobbler. What, is it, what do cobblers do? They make shoes? I'm not upset um, that my plumber hired the next generation to be plumbers. That does not make me upset. I am, in fact, encouraged mm-hmm. by the, you know, <laughs> the next Yeah, I mean, and sure, there... Sure, there's a plumber kid who who never was the full glory of his father. You know what I mean? He 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 was lazy with it. He took it for granted. Of course, there's those examples. <laughs> but and there's the plumber's kid that was determined to plumb better than than mm-hmm. any generation of plumber before. That new innovation, bringing mm-hmm. new flair. You can you know, it goes both ways. Uh, I think you know there's. I'm I'm always judge a person by their character type. You know, I've known really I've known comedians who came from massive wealth. Like, like there's w- some that are just so wealthy that you're like, holy shit! Like you're you're wealthy on a level that most of us have no idea, and they are the nicest people ever. And then there's people who come from abject <laughs> poverty who are pieces of shit. So you know, I for sure, I, I'm. I'm not um, casting judgment. I know this conversation went way off onto another tangent, but we were talking about stand-up being portrayed on TV. But but it brings back to, I think, when 
so for instance the show um crashing with pete holmes pete uh in that show what they did they did one episode and i was trying to explain to someone like what it feels like to watch stand up on tv or in a movie when you're when you've been doing it for so long and how you're just experiencing it on a completely different level than than someone else and that is so there did an episode in crashing where the whole crux of the episode was his like comedian girlfriend who played by jamie lee a a comedian i've come up with who i love Mm -hmm. um and they did an episode where she had to get a tape you know for something and getting a tape of your set is such a fucking ordeal it's such a nightmare getting a good tape of a good set is so something always goes wrong and they're going around hitting up all these shows um and so they're hitting up all it was sort of like the alt episode about like alt comedy even though i don't i hate that term because alt just means it's not a club and it's a venue that maybe the people who haven't gotten into the clubs yet perform at so it doesn't really mean a different style of comedy but they they hit all the alt rooms in new york and so it was big terrific which was at um rafifi up a bar on the Lower East Side, and then, um, you know, some Brooklyn shows. They recreated Rafifi, which didn't exist anymore when they filmed this. They recreated that room painstakingly accurate. And I performed a lot in that room. And some of the shows they went to, it was so accurate, this depiction of my experience in comedy, that it was almost painful. Like, I almost was crying. Like, it was too real. And... Mm-hmm. Jamie's character I related to so much. Uh, honestly, no offense to Pete, but I was like, please just make a show about Jamie. You know, <laughs> I wanted to see her. I wanted to see more of my experience on on TV. Anyway, that was probably the most real hands-on portrayal I've seen of a direct experience I've had um, of stand-up. But I, I had a list really quick, and then we can wrap this up. Um, of all the times stand-up has been depicted. Now, this is not complete. Uh, and I, I actually asked the question on Twitter, which has now been answered even more since, since, since we started recording. Um, so we've mentioned Hacks, Marvelous Miss Maisel, the movie Late Night, Pete Holmes crashing, Marin. Pretty sure he was himself in that. Louis... The infamous character Che Diaz, yeah, the infamous character Che Diaz in the the Sex and the City reboot. Holy shit! Wait, did we talk about this? Have you seen that? I Caitlin, can't look at it. No, Caitlin, just we're on that kind of TV blurs into some weird uncanny valley where I don't understand how the world works anymore. Okay, well, if you want to feel maximum uncomfortable feelings, I recommend watching the scene, the the episode where they go to Chady as his body horror. I would, <laughs> I would rather watch just the cutting off the arm se- sequence from 127 hours on a loop for 127 hours than watch awkward stand-up comedy depicted by the women of, and then there was that sex in the. And then there was I that. <laughs> Oh, it's a nightmare. Um, uh, Mulaney was a show that depicted a stand-up. Seinfeld, I thought one of the one of the few times where stand-up, the stand-up on TV, because it just was purely him doing his stand-up, 
in those little clothes. Was it opening credit, like opening scene or the tag at the end where they showed Seinfeld doing stand up? Um, so I'm dying up here was the showtime. I'm still listing the, the ways stand up oh, has been right. portrayed. Yeah. I'm dying <laughs> up here was, Improv. it was about the, the, the comedy store. Um, oh, right, 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 right. King of comedy. That was the movie, uh, that had like a dark look at stand up where the guy went and, um, stalked the late night host played by Robert De Niro to basically get a set on the show. Uh, one that I didn't realize, Obvious Child with Jenny Slate, which is a lovely movie. She's a stand-up in that movie, and I, I really yeah. liked uh, the way they portrayed stand-up in her. It was very likable and, and real. Um, it wasn't about stand-up, but she was a stand-up in the, in the movie, and I liked that. The Big Sick also has a stand-up scene, and Kamel plays basically himself and... Um, I thought that was fine. It's when it's not central to the story, it's easier to just sort of show, especially if the comedian is playing themselves and they are telling their own jokes that have been honed. I think that might be one of the problems of depicting stand up on TV is you have to write the jokes that they're going to tell. And you have to write the jokes that you're not performing. So I've been, I've, yeah, uh, the, one of the few times I've been on set for a job, two shows I've been on set for a job, and one of them we filmed the stand-up scene, and it, the phenomenon's revealed to me, similar to filming a special, weirdly, it's not an audience. It's extra, It's people. It's people professionally working to be in that shot. Mm-hmm. It's a it's shot. It's not natural. It's not a stand-up show. And it, I feel like I, before the world changed, I was right on the cusp of grasping this as a performer, where like my obsession with live comedy and stand-up and the live element... I had eaten enough of that food that I could start to get good at performative comedy for albums, for specials, for tapings. That took mm-hmm. me so long to divide the two mm-hmm. skills because they're not yeah. the same. It is so, you can't catch lightning in a bottle. Like you simply can't. It's a different task. It's a different phenomenon that you're witnessing. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's agreed. true for stand up in TV, for albums, for specials. Really? For albums and specials, you think that that's like not a real experience i think really good people can do it oh yeah i think it's a special skill to catch what feels live on an album but i think the performance is tailored to that effect i think uh and what i mean is like i was uh i listened to my first album and i feel like i caught a great live show but translating a great live Mm. show into a great album is one final stitch that looks really finished and beautiful. And I've heard albums that do it and specials that do it, but I recognize it as a skill that's different from what I was obsessed with, which was ripping the roof off clubs in seven minutes or an hour, depending on how much time I was given. Well, right. And, and, and the, the more in the moment, and especially for a tape, a filmed taping that, that is very different than a real stand up show that, uh, but an album was, that's what I was more curious about. Okay. So that I think to your point, capturing. So first off, let's say there's a stand up performance being portrayed, uh, in a movie or a TV show, who are the writers, uh, are they stand-ups? And by the way, even if they are, they're writing for a character and they've got, what, 13 weeks <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you know, if that, they've got a few weeks to write this material that's going to be filmed and with actors playing the audience and an actor playing the comedian. 
a, and, and who is the comedian in the in the character? Is are they a legend? Or are they a veteran? Or are they a headliner? So the material it really is noticeable when that material doesn't feel legitimate to the character, and so. In and just like that, the character Jay Diaz, they are up there performing and they are doing what people would call like woke clapter type comedy. But the thing is, um, I actually thought the style that Che was because the the person that plays Che, I can't remember their name, um, is being played by an actor who doesn't do stand up. And I actually thought the style, the performance style felt more to me like a big arena comic uh, that does act outs and things like more of a bro comic, actually, not to name who I think that Che, you know, was like. (laughs) So it was weird. I didn't think Che fit more of the woke comic style. I felt like it just didn't. I was like, what the what kind of research happened here? I need to understand this. But um it's really hard. I, I mean, I they tried it, but it just didn't work. And you don't buy that this person is a huge comedian with like a huge following because the performance they give is so bad. And then on top of it, the audience is standing who, you know, what? They call it a comedy concert over and over again. Every oh, different age groups call it comedy concert. <laughs> like it's not like they were doing it as a joke. Where, oh, the older women now are just using these old terms that they don't understand. No, like Miranda's daughter calls it, oh, you were at the comedy concert the other night. (laughs) No, not daughter. Miranda's daughter's uh, son's girlfriend. So anyway, um, it's really hard because of those factors to portray. So that's why I think the more successful ones um, are going to be by actual stand-up comedians who are playing characters that are either their level or earlier so that they can actually carry uh, that level of writing and talent and voice that is necessary. So I think it's just very hard. Um, But just really quick, I'll list some of the others. Sleepwalk with Nori Davis in succession. If he's not on the list yet, when you mentioned that, I thought immediately of him just crushing a stand-up part in a very difficult situation. Wait, really yeah, what, so funny. what 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 was that scene? I remember thinking, "Oh my god, look, it's Nori." Um, uh, what was the scene in Succession uh, so with stand up? It's essentially like a roast. Uh Oh yeah. Just a nightmare of a gig for a real comedian and Nori really yeah. kills the scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, without spoiling it, although I mocked spoilers earlier, I'd say if you haven't seen Nori on Succession, it's a worthy clip to go find. Yeah. So um funny. Okay, so there's that. Don't Think Twice is a movie about improv that I loved and thought was a very, very good portrayal of the interpersonal relationship of people in an improv troupe and an improv school. Uh, Man on the Moon, obviously a movie that portrays a very particular comedian. Like biopics, like Mickey One. Mm-hmm. Uh, not Mickey One's not a biopic, sorry. Um Lenny, starring Dustin Hoffman, is about mm-hmm. Lenny Bruce. Um, oh, there's a movie I haven't seen called Standing Up, Falling Down with Ben Schwartz and Billy Crystal. Might check that out. There's a couple Twilight Zone episodes. There's a movie called Annette that apparently is very divisive. You either hate it or love it. Um, 
Adam Driver is in it, and apparently he... It's not necessarily about his act so much as it is about... And he's more of a solo artist, not really a traditional stand-up comic. That's what I've told. Mr. Saturday Night. uh, What else? Funny People. That's the movie. I thought that movie was really interesting with Adam Sandler, where it depicts a headline... I think that was the first time a lot of people realized that huge comedians will have writers write jokes for them because that's one of the central plots of that movie is he hires this young guy to write for him um and i thought that was very like brave and vulnerable to like show that and because i think a lot of people didn't know that before that movie they were like wait what a state a huge dinner (laughs) of course not oh when i had my tv show people were like they're so obviously reading off a teleprompter i'm like what i'm sorry you think john stewart is just riffing like what are you doing (laughs) uh lady dynamite did i say that that was uh maria bamford's show which was not really about stand-up but it it it, it's her playing a version of herself sleepwalk with me mike probiglia they're stand-up in that which i'm sure is great because it's mike's based on mike's show his solo show and people are saying that um in nutty professor there's an oh, there's yeah, some stand up weird uh, humiliating a fat person can't stand up comedy scene I think yeah uh, always sunny has has uh, a character that does stand up oh god they're saying He's that barfing trying to do stand up is so funny I that might <laughs> I need to watch <laughs> that so so funny and oh, apparently man, oh, there's a great okay this is from Barbara Gray there's a great episode of Star Trek. The new generation where Data learns how to do comedy from Joe Piscopo on the holodeck, leading him to say the line, take my wharf, please. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a lot of little uh, examples. Um, And so I think... Any sort of in-depth analysis of how stand-up is portrayed, which this def- our conversation definitely would just scratch the surface, you know, you have to really, I would love for someone to d- take a really deep dive on this. Not me, because I'm not a, a critic or a culture writer, but maybe a Jesse David Fox from Vulture, uh, Meg Wright from Vulture, one of those Vulture kids, get one of them on it. Uh, go deep. We would Comedians love reading about ourselves. We'll share it on our Twitter if you do it right, compare how women comics are, are portrayed versus men and uh, what why is it so challenging to portray stand-up on TV? Somebody needs to really hit this hard. I don't think anyone really has. Maybe it's been mentioned here and there in other articles, but I just wanted to read that list and have no conclusions <laughs> at all. But these are just the things rolling around in my head this week. And uh, I do what I do think. Uh, I do think that it is incredibly difficult to capture stand-up comedian comedy in any medium that isn't live on stage. Uh, be it special, I would say even be it album, but most definitely television or film. Right, and fictionalized is the hardest. Yes, I think that... that my favorite depiction is D dry heaving on Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a key indicator that it is very difficult indeed. Oh, there's a couple episodes of Murder, She Wrote that feature stand-up comedy (laughs) uh, that might rank among my favorite. A ventriloquist and a super misogynistic opener, basically, uh, who thinks he's going to be famous. 
two key apps for any MCU. Oh, I got to watch that. And and there's also, that made me think of one of my favorite episodes of Tales from the Crypt with who else but Bobcat playing a ventriloquist who, do you know this episode? Oh, I will now. Uh Oh, Oh, Caitlin. Assignments. I better like. I mean, it's Uh it's from my. It is ingrained because I watched it young enough for that to really fuck with me. But it's. I mean, it was a. We quoted it, and my my siblings and I. There's a scene where the like little ventriloquist um, monster dummy goes contralto, like he he like has this high pitched voice. Oh, you got to watch that. I'll I'll have a review next week. It's really good. Tales from the Crypt is is one of my favorite classic shows from growing up. Anyway. All right. We've covered it all. Thanks, Caitlin. Always a pleasure. Good luck to to every pepper you planted. May every tomato uh, be (laughs) bursting with delicious flavor. Uh, I'm behind, but I'm excited to catch up, so... Ketchup, get it? <laughs> 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 All right.